change. Um, so one of the companies I quite liked was um, was Eda um, Eda Home uh, Eda um, Holdings these days. Um, and certainly their um, their CEO's uh, stuff. He only got a fifty five percent support rate, but it's actually a jolly good company. It's um, mm. uh, and so um, you know part of the problem with with some of these companies is they've got poison pills, and um, and investors are, are angry about that. I mean, another one is four five two three Azi, the pharmaceutical company. Decent company, but um, but they're, they're they're very frustrated about the poison pills. I think mm. uh, get rid of that and uh, and support for the company would uh, would pick up considerably. Is it also difficult sometimes to work out who actually runs the company? Is it the chairman? Is it the CEO? Is is it the president? I see loads of these different titles on on on, on these companies. Is it is there a pecking order, or is it difficult to know? You know, it's extremely difficult to know, and I had a lot of fun going around our our analysts and, and saying, who do you think's in charge of this company and who's that? And uh, uh, it, it can be the chairman or it may, might be the president, and there are a lot of titles. Uh, and I had answers back, well, well, it's the person who does the most talking at the, <laughs> uh, the results meeting or the AGM. <laughs> and, you know, I think a U.S. investor would be utterly baffled by this. Mm. So why is there a question about who's in charge uh, when there are problems with it? I need to know who to phone but mm. um but in japanese companies it is kind of nebulous and it shouldn't be nebulous fascinating topic we'll talk about this more in the future nick thank you very much that's nick smith japan strategist at clsa in tokyo let's uh, let's take a look at the um Let's take a look at the markets. Uh, Nikkei 225 in Japan right now, down 0.7%. Over in uh, Australia, the SX200 off 0.9%. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about a third of a percent lower uh, in just under an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening uh, this morning. Do please uh, tune in again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Back chat's coming up with Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, fresh uh, to strong east to southeasterly winds. Uh, it's going to be cloudy with showers and squalls and a maximum temperature of around 28 degrees. It's 27 degrees right now, 96% relative humidity. There is a strong wind signal number three in force and a thunderstorm warning this morning. 8.32, here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News. The government says it's finished a compulsory COVID testing exercise at the Centrepoint Residential Building in Shenwan, where 185 residents were tested and no confirmed cases were found. Police sealed off the building on Staunton Street yesterday evening after a 27-year-old man who had come back from the US on Sunday tested preliminary positive for the L452R mutation. The man had lived in the block for about a week before going to the US on July the 4th. The government says it may not issue a vaccination record to a man who received two COVID jabs here after he reportedly didn't tell nursing staff he'd already been inoculated abroad. The man may also be taken to court. Robert Kemp reports. A government spokesman said the man's actions might amount to gaining benefits through deception and prosecution was being considered. He said Hong Kong's vaccine resources were precious and such behaviour was unfair to healthcare staff. He said the man had also put his own health on the line. Local media reports had said the man had wanted a local vaccination record. A spokesman also said health authorities here might be willing to give a second vaccine dose to arrivals who'd only received their first jab overseas. President Biden has accused China of protecting and accommodating hackers who carried out a major cyber attack this year that targeted Microsoft Exchange servers. The White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the United States could take further action against Beijing. 
We are not holding back. Uh, we are not uh, allowing uh, any economic circumstance or consideration to prevent us from taking actions where warrant. And also, we reserve the option to take additional actions where warrant as well. This is not the conclusion of our efforts as it relates to cyber activities with China or Russia. The U.S. joined a list of Western countries that have accused the Chinese government of allowing and encouraging cyber attacks. Microsoft revealed details of the hack in March. The Israeli government has dismissed the decision by the U.S.-based ice cream company Ben & Jerry's to stop marketing its ice cream in the occupied Palestinian territories. A Ben & Jerry's spokesperson said the firm had taken a decisive step towards ending its complicity in the occupation and the violation of Palestinian rights. Israel's Foreign Minister Yair Lapid condemned the decision in strong terms. Ben and Jerry's decision is a disgraceful capitulation to anti-Semitism, to the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement against Israel, to all that is evil in the anti-Israel and anti-Jewish discourse. We won't be silent. Over 30 states in the US have passed anti-BDS legislation in recent years. I plan on asking each of them to enforce these laws against Ben and Jerry's so they won't treat us in such a way. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivert and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about vaccines, especially for the elderly, and about Hong Kong's first gay drama. Bookings for vaccinations are on the rise, but Hong Kong has fallen well behind other places in vaccinating old people. Patrick Nipp said at the weekend less than a quarter of people aged 65 or over have received at least one jab so far. And the government is now studying whether to allow some senior citizens to get the vaccine without first making a booking. He said the vaccination rate for the eligible population is now at 41% and it could reach 70% in late September. Why then do we have a low vaccination rate for the elderly? What are their concerns? Are the vaccines protective enough? Do we need a booster shot? Will restrictions really be in place for another year? What do you think of the UK's Freedom Day? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk. Or you can call us, and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. After about 9.20, we're going to be talking about uh, Hong Kong's first drama with uh, a gay couple. Austin's love has generally been a hit in the city. Uh, why is that? Uh, thoughts from a spokesperson from the Pink Alliance. And of course, we want to hear from you once again. Bankchat at rthk.hk uh, is our email address. A few kind of unrelated emails. Maybe we'll put them in uh, a little bit later. Let's get to our first topic. We are joined uh, once again by uh, Benjamin Cowling, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Jean Wu is with us, Emeritus Professor of Medicine, faculty in the Faculty of Medicine at the Chinese University and Director of the Chinese University uh, Jockey Club Institute of Aging, as well as Dr. Owen Jung Tak Ying. He's a medical director in the Hospital Authorities Infectious Disease Centre. Once again, our email address is backchat.rthk.hk. Uh, Professor Wu, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Good morning. Many thanks for, for joining us. Um, uh, why... Simply, why is the vaccination rate so low for the elderly in Hong Kong? Well, I, I think uh, vaccination is essentially a behaviour. So we need three things. First of all, people need to understand why they have to be vaccinated, uh, how it benefits them individually, how it affects their lifestyle, and uh, is it complicated to get vaccinated? Now, I think that none of these three things were handled very well at the beginning of the vaccination campaign. 
Um, it's improving, but uh, I think that accounts for why uh, Hong Kong is kind of behind, let's say, for, for example, the UK. Um, I mean, for the UK, it's very obvious why you should have it, because lots of people are being admitted from uh, uh, in, in intensive care and dying. Well, in, in Hong Kong, we, we haven't had that scenario, so it hasn't really hit home. And, uh, and um, most of the people in the news are people who are clusters in nursing homes. And uh, they, 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 uh, the virus was introduced to the home by care workers. So, um, so I, I think these, these are the three things that, that contributed. Um, so, for, for example, uh, the, uh, the, the other thing is um, there was a misinformation, I think, misunderstanding that it, um, if you have many diseases, then the vaccination is going to maybe increase the risk of side effects. I think there's a kind of confusion there because what really happening is that if you have many comorbidities and you're old, your risk of catching, of the, your risk of dying is increased. And there's no evidence really that if you have uh, underlying chronic diseases, you're at high risk of side effects. I, I'm not too sure where, where that came from. But then everybody then want, wanted to see their doctor and consult their doctor before uh, they consider whether they're fit to have the vaccine. And consulting doctors is a barrier, particularly for people in nursing homes. Um, and then the logistic is complicated. You've got to, you've got to be digitally savvy to do that. <laughs> um, and, and then finally, so, so if you've had the vaccine, so what? It, for, for a lot of old people who live in nursing homes, they, they don't care about mortality. They don't care about dying. So... Um, and they, many of them are confined to the home anyway. So what? Uh, they, they don't. They're not afraid of dying. So, uh, so, so these are some of the reasons I think. And you know, logistically, having vaccination in nursing home, you need to have outreach. And whose responsibility is it? Is it social welfare department, department of health, or hospital authority? Um, I, I think we just don't have a organised, unified approach to this this issue and uh, well I think belatedly we're focusing on it but uh, as usual um, you know uh, older people as a subgroup are always kind of it's always a second thought I think somehow. Um, yes Professor Wu, uh, I think uh, you know some of the very old people who live in um, nursing homes um, you know they would have uh, the concerns that you just mentioned but um, as Patrick Nipp said only about 25% of people aged over 65, you know, have got the jab. Uh, so what, what, is, uh, what is the concern of people who are not in nursing homes who are like, you know, about 50, 65 or below 80 um, in relatively good health? I, I actually do know people that they are actually very afraid that they will uh, have uh, very serious side effects. Uh, could, um, you know, could this be allayed somehow? Um, oh, de definitely. I, I think what you have to ask, why did they come to be so afraid, unlike other countries? And uh, so, so, you see, older people, they, 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 this is a reflection of the general anxiety about vaccines. If the younger people, including healthcare professionals, are hesitant in taking it, um, 
older people, of course, it would be aggravated, this concern. Um, so, so I think this is a reflection of the general uh, concern that we have to tackle. Uh, but if, if you see some of the interviews, it, it depends how the media portrays it. So this is a, a kind of health promotion failure, I reckon. If you listen to a chairman of the elderly commission, he just said, well, if you uh, agree to have flu vaccine, it's no different. And then the, the older person said, oh, oh, in that case, yeah, then I will have it, no problem. So, so I think it's a, it's a communication uh, issue that, that this, uh, if you look at the general older population, uh, and also the reliance on technology. I mean, everybody assumes that you can make appointment online. Well, I mean, as you get the older you get, the more um, the more troublesome you find it. And if you can't find any young person to do it for you, they say, "Oh, I can't be bothered. I, I just, I just don't go out. I don't go to to restaurants." You see, so, so, so the how you facilitate them having the vaccine also very, very important. And so I think pop-up centers are good, not requiring them to register or find out what their various information they have to, you know, their memory might not be too good and they have to find documents and so on. And it's just a hassle. And a lot of them physically cannot queue up at these centers um, in the hot weather. So, so there are a lot of these practical things that we could get rid of to uh, increase the vaccination rate. Uh, Dr. John, good morning to you. Thanks, good morning. Thanks for, for, for joining us. I mean, what, what's the basis of this? Are, are, are elderly people more at risk from, from uh, side effects from, from the vaccines? Is there any basis for that? Because you know you have these warnings about people with hypertension uh, and so on, which will affect a, a lot of old people. Um, you know, uh, are they right to, to be worried or to at least take a second look before they take the vaccination? I think there are several reasons for the uh, for the worry because um, now, but before we talk about vaccines, actually in elderly patients, if they they are infected, their risk of dying is quite high. Say, for example, quotes from uh, the, the examples in Hong Kong, and um, when we talk about the elderly greater than seventy years of age, say for example seventy to seventy nine, they have about eight percent of dying. We have 212 patients, uh, uh, people die in Hong Kong, and actually 7 to 75, uh, 79, actually the, the uh, percentage of patients dying is 8%. But we jump to 80 to 89, the percentage of dying is 25, so one, one quarter of the patient will die. And greater 90 years of age, actually one third of them will die. So in general, elderly patients are the target group for the vaccinations to protect them. So for vaccination itself, I think that most of the elderly is uh, because, you know, uh, if you have uh, one single people dying after ve being vaccinated and the whole media will be, you know, um, uh, um, promote, uh, not promote, but whole media will report that. And elderly patients, they are, you know, they are quite uh, worried once they uh, uh, um, hear such news. So I think um, some, somehow... Uh, these sorts of news will be amplified by the general public. And so that's why um, they worry about that. But, we, but when we look at the statistics, when we look at the data, there are some reports 
uh, regular report from the uh, Center for Health Protections. Actually, uh, if we talk about dying, if we talk about um, uh, the mortality after vaccinations, we are we are talking about 23 patients after having almost four millions of doses of vaccine being uh, administered. So we're talking about 23, and the um, and the risk most of the uh, uh, the cause of the mortality is the coronary artery disease. Of course, uh, people will worry. People will ask uh, if I have hypertension, if I I have diabetes, if I have coronary artery disease, should I be vaccinated? So I think if there are um, so hypertension, your blood pressures, their uh, sugar levels, um, their general medical problems, uh, status are being uh, relatively stable, they can be vaccinated. There's no um, no contraindications if they are stable enough. So I think. Um, um, one is the um, the um, you know once they hear a, a side effect, say bowel palsy, mortality, and other side effects, uh, say people uh, pass out uh, after vaccination, it might be just fast away going attack, which are very common in many in many settings, and it it will it will be amplified. They they are worried. So, but in general, um, when we look at the data itself, the vaccine itself is safe and efficacious in many, many different age groups, including the elderly. So I think in general, if the elderly are stable enough, if their hypertension is under control, if they even, if, even if they have coronary artery disease, if they, uh, you know, if they uh, consult their, um, their private doctors or public doctors, if they think, if the doctor thinks that uh, they are safe enough, they are stable enough, they can be vaccinated, no problems. So in general, and and uh, I think um, uh, um, as um, 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 what uh, uh, as you said, um, if the elderly patients, the the problems, uh, the the barrier to the vaccinations, uh, one is the the worry about side effects, and the other one is the um, the um, using the platform to book the vaccinations. If they can walk in and um, with immediate vaccinations, uh, it can facilitate very much. Of for uh, on vaccination for the elderly. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I I have uh, gone gone to book uh, on the platform, and it is actually very complicated with lots of text. Yes, yes. And yes. Um, could could it be simpler, or you know, could there be a service uh, somewhere, uh, you know, that the government or your centre can help uh, elderly people to register? I think it's the government's uh, uh, determinations to to help these um, elderly patients. Um, say, Cortex Choice, for example, is in Singapore, and from 3rd of June onwards, actually, uh, all uh, residents uh, about 60 years of age uh, can walk into any of the vaccination centre and be vaccinated without previous booking. So if Hong Kong want to uh, enhance the uh, vaccination rate in the elderly patients, they can, say, copy the, um, the, 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 this kind of procedure so as to facilitate the vaccinations in elderly. Hmm. Uh, also with us is, uh, sorry, is uh, Professor uh, Benjamin Cowling. Uh, Professor Cowling, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. So, um, I mean, this is, you know, the, kind of the opposite of uh, of uh, the technique, for example, in the UK. Uh, I'm not saying one is better. In fact, of course, the UK has a lot more deaths from, from COVID. But the approach there was that the elderly, the older you were, the, the, the sooner you got 
uh, vaccinated. It was the oldest, the very oldest people who were the priority, and the government was quite proactive in actually approaching them. Uh, I think, uh, and then the sort of the age went down uh, o- over time. Um, uh, you know, which makes more sense? Do you understand the approach in Hong Kong? Yeah, in Hong Kong, we did have that plan actually at the very beginning. Um, uh, earlier this year, we had the plan to, to to stratify by age and to prioritise the eldest, and then it was the 70s first, and then the 60s, and then the 50s and down. But uh, because of the low uptake in the early days, it was broadened to everybody fairly quickly. I think in the UK, the the NHS actually phones up people to say they've got an appointment uh, ready yeah, for them. Yeah, it's quite proactive, I think. Quite actually proactive. Goes whereas, to them. Yeah. Whereas here is the other way around. It's the responsibility of the individual to make an appointment. And I wonder whether for older people, if there was more proactivity, that would help to encourage older people to go and get vaccinated. And in the UK, the other driver was the scarcity, that because COVID was in the community... If you get a phone call saying you can come in and get vaccinated next week, you jump at the chance because you know there's a a significant risk and the the earlier you can do it, the better. So I don't think very many people turned down the chance to get vaccinated when they were given the opportunity. But, but, uh, you know, as an old person, if you're doing the calculation, you might think, not unreasonably, there is very, very little COVID in Hong Kong. There is a very, very slim chance of me... Uh, catching COVID, uh, and but there is a, I can see the the, op, the the possibility of me suffering side effects and so on. And my friends have said they felt odd after taking it and and those kinds of things. And that might be the calculation. Well, it's, it's not unreasonable. It's very understandable. Mm. And when we also hear in the news that we may be staying closed, zero COVID for another year or longer, then I can understand why people might want to wait a little bit longer if we're going to open up next summer. Let's get vaccinated next spring instead of now because there's no hurry anymore. So I, I think. If we have a clear timeline for how long we're planning to do zero COVID, it would certainly help. Mm. All right. Uh, Jim, in an email, says the lady is on the mark. I think that's Professor Wu. Uh, she's correct and should be an advisor to the SAR. I think she is. Yes. I will not use online services. The is generalizing and should never say will when referring to all elderly. I'm 80 and no problems, uh, says uh, uh, Jim. Uh, Alonzo says, first and foremost, I'd like to thank Professor Cowling for providing Hong Kongers with his regular value-add insights into the virus. He's been a voice of reason and calm during the past 18 months. It's a shame the Hong Kong government doesn't listen to all of his advice. I watched Professor Cowling's interview on Bloomberg TV yesterday morning. He indicated that the Sinovac shot might be only effective for three months. Can he elaborate on this? Specifically, uh, if this is the case, why is the Hong Kong government still offering this vaccine? Should the Hong Kong government discontinue the Sinovac shot and only offer the superior Biontech option. Uh, that's from Alonso. Yeah, we've done yeah. some research recently where we looked at antibody levels after vaccination in people who received the Biontech jab or the Sinovac jab, and the antibodies were at a much lower level after receipt of Sinovac. And separately, there's research from Thailand that I just saw the other day that suggested after three months, antibodies go to undetectable levels in people who receive Sinovac. That's not the same as saying they're no longer protected. I would imagine there's still some protection even when the antibodies are no longer detectable. And I'm sure there's still good protection against severe disease because that tends to last for longer anyway. But it's a concern for people who are looking to travel and get the antibody report if the antibodies have disappeared after three months of receiving Sinovac. And that's why there's been a lot of discussion recently about booster jabs. 
So uh, what is this optimum antibody level that you're uh, the, the more the better. What, what's the number? What's Not the a, minimum? Is so there? each lab is doing their own different machine, different, different numbers coming out of their machine, so I can't give you a number, but more antibodies is definitely better. And if your antibodies have gone down so low that they can't be detected anymore, that's not particularly good. Uh, that means you might be more susceptible to infection than, than you were when you had detectable antibodies. But after vaccination, there's still some other protection probably that's not just mediated through the antibodies. Right. I, I was told that um, you know uh, a number below 50 is low. It depends on the machine, though. So it's, okay. some machines have, have different scales. So some go from 0 to 10, some go to 0 to 100, some 0 to 1,000. So it depends on the machine. But usually when you get the report back, it'll indicate what's a level that's, that's at least detectable. And sometimes they might even give you a level that's higher or lower. But it's sometimes difficult to interpret those numbers. And there's no standard yet for, for antibody testing. It's, there's a lot of different machines, a lot of different companies are doing it, each in their right. own individual way. Okay, here's an email from Vic, who says, the Hong Kong elderly who contributed towards Hong Kong's success story have always got a raw deal. One just needs to walk around old districts and public housing complexes to see the life of quiet desperation they are living. Most of them have pre-existing conditions which may or not prevent them from taking the jab. The main issue, in my opinion, is that they need guidance and are not being guided properly. It's obvious that a lot of HA doctors stroke staff are probably rightfully not cheerleaders of the government. The very fact that there is a low vaccination intake among the medical community itself speaks volumes. The question is, is the medical community's political convictions resulting in giving them giving wrong advice to the elderly as to the safety of the vaccination they should be taking? The same indifference uh, exists in case of private doctors uh, also. Uh, uh, Professor Wu, Dr. Wu, do you, any comment uh, on, on that? Uh, there is a low intake, of, you know, relatively low uh, uptake uh, among uh, medical uh, community are they not are they then reluctant to uh, advocate uh, for vaccinations for the elderly uh, well I, I think uh, they certainly uh, 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 will influence the elderly uptake because a lot of older people are not too sh too sure so they go to the healthcare community to ask for advice. Now, if, if you're not too convinced yourself, quite often the patients say, well, doctor or, or nurse, have you taken a jab? And if you say you haven't, you know, wh whatever you say is not going to be very important. Th then the question is, why, why is the medical community like that? Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's how, medically, how we communicate risk to um, our, our medical community. Um, I, I don't think that's been done very well uh, as a whole. Um, you know, the risk versus benefit thing. Um, and also from the motivation side, I mean, you can get motivated to do things, uh, not because you have to. Uh, we, th there's not much motivation uh, because, okay, you've had two jabs, uh, where does it get you? You're still stuck in Hong Kong. You can't go anywhere, um, and uh, and then increasingly, it's it seems to a lot of people that zero policy is uh, perhaps not going to work. Uh, at least it's going to be persisting until uh, we're going to have limitation until mid 2022. So um, so what? What, what is the motivation? I think if we can tweak that balance to to get more people to motivate. So, for example, if you if you had uh, if you fully jabbed, you can travel to visit your 
family, wherever, and when you come back, you do not have to to be quarantined for 21 days. Now, the, the scientific justification for 21 days is mystifying to me. Um, I, I think that the whole uh, one could have a better articulation of the evidence base for all these policies that we um, that we survive under. I mean, I, I, I see in, even in China, um, Professor Zhongnam San said a few weeks ago that zero case policy is not a, is not achievable. Quarantine hotels is not a good idea. <laughs> I mean, and and why are we still insisting on that? Um, so that, that even the med among the medical people. There are a lot of uncertainties. Right. Dr. Uh, Jung, do you, do you agree? Sorry? Do, do you want to respond to that, Dr. Jung? Do you agree? Um, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I think uh, the same is true, say, in our healthcare uh, professionals, and some of them are still worried about the side effects. And upon more explanations and also uh, about the safety and also the efficacy of the vaccines, most of them uh, do agree to be vaccinated. Say, for example, in our settings, in the infectious disease centers, uh, and 100% of our doctors are being are vaccinated. So in general, I think uh, this is uh, not only because of the personal protection, protects the patients, and also is some kind of a professional liability. So in general, in healthcare workers, uh, I think um, it is very important that they get vaccinated. And after the vaccinations, they can convince the patient to be vaccinated. So in general, I think um, this is, this is, the vaccination rate within the healthcare worker is, is going up. So I think in the near future, we can uh, get more pe people vaccinated so that we can have uh, the so-called herd immunities that, um, that we are talking. Okay, well, Dr. Zhang, thanks for, for joining us. Dr. Owen Zhang Takin there. He's a medical director in the Hospital Authority Infectious Disease Centre. Many thanks to you, Professor Wu and uh, Professor Cowling. Well, we'll stay with us. Uh, we want to hear your questions and your comments as well. You can email backchat at rthk.hk. Call us on 233-88266. Later, as I say, we're going to be talking about uh, reaction to uh, Hong Kong's uh, first mainstream uh, gay TV drama. And, uh, some of it positive, some of it negative. Uh, we'll be hearing what's uh, going on later in the programme. We want to hear from you, of course, as well. The weather, uh, the strong wind signal number three is still in force. Uh, seas will be rough with swells today. It's going to be cloudy with showers and squalls. The showers heavy at times with thunderstorms. 25 Celsius now. Relative humidity is at 96%. They won't treat us in such a way. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about uh, vaccinations. We're talking about COVID issues in general, especially vaccinations, and especially about uh, the elderly. Uh, we're joined by uh, Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong, and from the Chinese University uh, Emeritus Professor of Medicine, the, uh, Jean Wu, uh, who's also Director of the Chinese University Jockey Club Institute of Aging. Later, at Warsaw going to be talking about Hong Kong's first mainstream gay drama on uh, TV reaction to that uh, you can email us backchat at rthk.hk you can call us on 233-88266 or you can go to our Facebook page that's backchat on rthk radio 3 and comment there um, also, uh, by the by, on Friday, uh, for an hour, the Chief Executive will be with us uh, for uh, an extended uh, interview. Um, uh, no calls uh, during the...
the interview, uh, but uh, you're welcome to uh, email us uh, with uh, any questions that you'd like us uh, to put uh, to the chief executive uh, between uh, then and now. Uh, Backchat at rthk.hk is the usual address if you want to, as I say, uh, put a question and we'll try and put it in one form or another uh, to the chief executive uh, on Friday morning's programme. should be an interesting one. A uh, couple of uh, comments uh, from listeners on today's topic. Uh, Din says the Hong Kong SAR government statistics only give the overall vaccination rate but never break it down into the rates for BioNTech and Sinovac. Given that we are reading about how relatively ineffective Sinovac is compared with BioNTech, particularly against the Delta variant as demonstrated in Indonesia, is there not the Sinovac elephant in Hong Kong and the PRC generally? What does Hong Kong intend to do come September when the SARG reportedly intends to discontinue BioNTech vaccination? Are we facing a Delta variation wave, a variant wave, especially when our land border reopens? That comes from Din. One for you, I think, for the Cowling. Let's see what what happens when... uh when September comes. But uh, I don't think BioNTech vaccinations will stop. At the same time, we can continue with the zero COVID strategy. Having a higher vaccine coverage helps us to maintain zero COVID, but we have a lot of measures uh, ready to go, a lot of testing, lockdowns, um, and so on that will stop the the Delta variant from spreading if it does get into Hong Kong, if or when that happens. Um, And for opening the border with the mainland, I think that's going to be a fragile bubble. I think there will be times when it's open, but there'll also be times when it has to close again. And so I I, personally, I don't think that's a very good strategy or a very good target for Hong Kong to aim for because it's going to be fragile. I think if we can get a high vaccination coverage, then learning to live with the virus like they're doing in the UK might be a better longer term strategy. We have to do that sooner or later anyway. And is the 70 percent rate that's thrown around, is that? Is that right? Is I that think that's a good need? target for vaccination coverage. But that's, that's 70% of the eligible population or 70% of the general population? 70% of the general population right. is a good target for vaccination Whether it's coverage, Sinovac or whether it's BioNTech. Whichever, but that's not herd immunity. Uh, I wrote earlier this year, I think in March, that even uh, 70% coverage with BioNTech would be just about the limit for herd immunity. And if we're using a mix of some people getting BioNTech, some people getting Sinovac, we'll be nowhere near herd immunity. But that doesn't mean we can't learn to live with the virus. In the UK, you see what's happening. They have 70% coverage and still they're expecting a lot of infections in the coming weeks, probably millions of infections in the coming weeks because vaccinations alone don't get you to herd immunity, especially with the Delta variant. You need vaccinations and then on top of that, some immunity from natural infections, which are generally mild in vaccinated people. So the higher vaccination coverage you can get, the better. But in the long term, we have to figure out a way to live with the virus because it's not going away. What about very young children? We are not vaccinating, um, let's say, you know, zero to 12 yet. Right? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting discussion. And, and so younger children really are not at high risk of severe COVID. Very, very uh, typically mild. Uh, so COVID is typically very mild in younger children. In children 12 to 16, we're vaccinating them here. In the UK, they've decided not to. And as I understand it, their assessment is that uh, because of the side effects of vaccination, a small number of children might be hospitalised after vaccination. But with COVID, it's so mild, even in children 12 to 16, that there'd actually be less hospitalizations from COVID than there are from as a consequence of the vaccination campaign. Now, in Hong Kong, if any child gets COVID, even if it's very, very mild or asymptomatic, they will be hospitalised. So we have a different calculation here than in the UK, where they only hospitalise people with severe COVID. But it's an interesting interesting idea that they've decided that that maybe getting the infection is is not that dangerous for children 12 to 16 and and the vaccination may not do a lot of good in that age group Uh, i think the calculation is different here though
but we certainly don't have this mentality in Hong Kong. You know, any you know any infection is an infection. Yeah, and and we're trying to keep to zero COVID. So the the better we can do that with high vaccination coverage, then then the easier it's going to be to stay at zero COVID. If we can get a very high vaccination coverage, it's going to make zero COVID a very easy strategy to maintain. Yeah. So if we are not counting young children, seventy uh, percent for herd immunity means um, almost a hundred percent of the population. Or no, no, no. Uh, so seventy so percent is not herd immunity, but seventy percent threshold for vaccination. I think that's a good enough level to go to to say if seventy percent of people in Hong Kong have got vaccinated, and of course we're we're still opening the vaccination to the remaining fraction, except for children under 12, then I think that's a good level to say we've done as much as we can and it's time to switch over and start living with the virus. We recognise there are going to be infections, there's going to be people hospitalised, but there's still an opportunity to go and get vaccinated if people who haven't been vaccinated change their mind. Uh, we can figure out a way to shield younger children, figure out a way to shield people who've had cancer or transplants who maybe can't be protected by vaccination. But unless we're planning on zero COVID in the long run, we have to switch over sooner or later. Uh, our policy is actually quite linked to the mainland China's policy in Macau. Um, how do they see this? Uh, do, do they, you know, do they look at it, you know, eventually, you know, in the UK way, or do do, do you think that? Um, I, I don't know the, the plan in the mainland, and I haven't seen a lot of discussion. I remember George Gao had a, a press conference a few months ago where he said they're nowhere near herd immunity and they're going to need to look at booster doses. And I wonder whether they're going to need boosters on top of the boosters. And so, in that sense, there may always be trying to catch up to get the immunity level up with boosters and then another round of boosters and then another round of boosters. And in Hong Kong, the chief executive said in an interview recently that we may be following the mainland strategy. So we'll go for a bubble with the mainland. As long as there's zero COVID, we're going to be zero COVID and we'll open up to the rest of the world when the mainland is ready to open up to the rest of the world. But I'm actually worried that the mainland may decide to open up and we won't be ready because our vaccination coverage won't, won't even be as high as it is in the mainland. And remember, in the mainland, it's, it's higher now than in the United States. Hmm. Uh, Professor Wu, do you, do you agree that it's this all comes down to the vaccination rate? Really, this is the this is the only way out. Uh, well, at, at, at the moment, um, there also uh, I, I agree with uh, Ben Cowling about the China situation. I mean, Hong Kong is part of China, and we, a lot of our um, business is with China, so that's obviously an important link. Uh, but I, I think that lay people and the public health perspective are slightly different. I mean, we, um, we, there's no way we can uh, achieve no cases. I mean, I, I think in a lot of lay people's mind, they think that if we do this and that and that, we will have no infection. But that's never going to happen. Now, vaccination only mitigates the consequences, it only mitigates, it doesn't eliminate. You see, even the most effective vaccine, the effectiveness is, let's say, 96 or whatever. So that means there are going to be people who have had their dose, full dose of vaccination with the most effective vaccine, and they're still going to catch COVID-19, particularly with the, the mutations and so on. So I, I think this psychology is that if you do this, you will never have any, particularly in the policy makers. I think that their mindset, I mean, it's, it's important to change this mindset. It's, it's all a, a matter of risk and balance. Now, uh, clearly, if we continue like this, everybody is going to, I mean, a lot of people will suffer mentally, financially, etc. So it's the magnitude of that balance against 
your current, the, the, uh, our Hong Kong current uh, policies. We've got to have a, a, an optimum. So I think we've got to listen to all sectors. Um, now, now, I mean, some people have been talking about this quarantine, 21 days, mental health effects, and they, they've, uh, some groups have done a kit. And, I mean, it has huge impact on people. Where does that come in, in the consideration? It's, it's the virus. We have to do that, and then it's a virus. But then what's the evidence that 21 days hotel quarantine is going to be better than 14 days? And is it 100%? It's not 100% either, because people get infected in, inside the hotel because of the ventilation system. You cannot guarantee a perfect ventilation system, like in hospitals. So what are you doing? Hurting people into a group where you're in fact increasing the risk of catching COVID. I mean, all these things need to be debated, and it's not a simple situation. But then we've got to be pra pragmatic. We're part of China, and of course, whatever uh, China decides, we've we got to uh, dovetail with that. I, I agree, but what I mentioned recently, uh, uh, an interview with Zhong uh, Nam San, is that he, he's saying these things. It's not possible, zero COVID policy. Hotel quarantine, a bad idea. And that's why in, in China, they're building a 5,000 place uh, quarantine facility somewhere. Uh, I, I mean, you know, this is the reality. And uh, we, within Hong Kong, we've got to debate it actively. Would you, would you, would you prefer then a, a purpose-built uh, you know, quarantine facility like the one at Penis Bay, which, you know... Did not have a good press, to put it mildly. Or, or we heard another email from Jim uh, who says, uh, again, she is wise. Uh, there is no need for a two-week hotel quarantine for fully vaxxed inbound travellers. One-week hotel, then one-week home, the carrot. Uh, what about that? A week in a hotel and a week in a home? Or would you prefer the the more serious kind of um, a quarantine facilities? Well, well I, I mean, my, my point is, it, it, it seems to me rather arbitrary... Uh, the way our policy is, is made about quarantine. I mean, uh, if you look at worldwide, some people are 14 days, some people are 10, some people are 7. And certainly, if you've had, uh, if you're fully vaccinated, then um, it, it's even less. So, so that kind of makes sense. But what does not make sense to the majority of people is the, the kind of policy that we're having now. And it changes all the time. One minute is 14 days, 17 days, days if you're doubly vaccinated. And the next minute is 21 days. Now, the point about quarantine is that you're quarantined in the hotel. Can, can you reassure me that every single hotel has got a, a, a ventilation system that is like in the hospital, that is like in the facility in Lantau, the purple spilt infection center, where they have, uh, I don't know, 12 air exchanges per hour, something like that. Uh, very ideal. Um, and, and also the HA hospitals also have this issue of uh, air exchange. They don't put people, suspect COVID or COVID patients anywhere. It, the air exchange is very important. Mm. Now, it, 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 how can that be in every single hotel you stay in? You shut the windows, you stop people from opening doors and shutting the windows. They depend on the ventilation system. Has anybody studied that? Yes, but on the, on the other hand, Dr. Wu, do you think uh, Hong Kong people are ready for, you know, a big opening up, uh, no more masks? You know, if we all get the vaccine together, let's say, you know, but, uh, you know beyond 70 percent, 
Um, I, I think a lot of people will, will be extremely cautious, and they don't really want travellers to come in. They don't uh, want, uh, you know, they still want the quarantine for incoming travellers. Uh, we we are all very nervous. I think uh, I don't know why, but Hong Kong people are actually more nervous than say you know, UK people. I I don't think the choice is between Hong Kong and what's happening in the UK. A lot of people in the UK are not are, are very anxious either. <laughs> but um, but but we we are kind of at the other extreme. What what I'm saying is, tell us what the policy is. Have some consistency so that people can plan. And show us the the basis for it. Now, I think that if you relax the quarantine, I mean, I think people, uh, uh, I think one psychology that a lot of Hong Kong people, oh, we we're all right, we're zero case, so we don't want anybody to come in. And uh, so my question is, well, if somebody is, um, it, what makes you think that twenty one days stuck in a hotel is going to make, uh, is going to protect you? Okay. Right? If, You, you can catch things in the hotel. Sure. All right. A, a lot of emails. Uh, GMH says so. In the UK, the government is willing to risk that a high death rate among the elderly in the community is acceptable, so the young people can go to pubs? Question uh, mark. And uh, he also says, I love Doctor Wu. For the first time, I hear reason on uh, Backchat. Uh, a fan. Uh, Matthew says, Do any of the experts know what the status of reopening the mainland border is and what it's going to take for that to happen? For the Calling, uh, I think they've talked about potentially next summer but they're going to need to do boosters this autumn this winter and i wonder if they're going to do another round of boosters next summer and then make an assessment again i'm a little before bit they open the border i'm a little okay. bit concerned that they may even delay that for another six months another year until they feel safer because the problem in the mainland is they've been pursuing zero covid for so long that if they suddenly switch over and say covid is not not a big deal anymore and there's going to be a lot of infections i think even the, the border to hong kong Uh, no, so the border to Hong Kong, yeah. I think there'll be a fragile bubble. I think that could open any time. We've okay. gone had six weeks with no local cases. And to, to address uh, Professor Wu's question for 21 days, I don't think it's any better in terms of limiting introduction to the community than 14 days. I think 14 days is long enough. But if you have a longer quarantine, 21 or even go to 28, it reduces the volume of travelers because people don't want to come if it's longer. And then that reduces the total risk to Hong Kong when we're trying to keep introductions to a minimum so that we can have a bubble with the mainland, even though it's going to be a fragile mm. bubble. So we've had six weeks. That's almost as long as we've ever gone with zero cases in the community. Uh, we can open with the mainland anytime. They said now they're waiting for us to get to 70%. Uh, by the time we get to 70%, I don't know if that will still be the criteria. <laughs> But uh, we, when we do open, I worry that fairly quickly we'll have a local case in the community and then the bubble will burst and we'll have to wait another a month or two months before we can reopen again and so we'll forever be chasing a bubble with the mainland and i, I don't think that's really the optimal strategy anymore mm. all right uh leslie ann says uh, it's ridiculous that people who are doubly vaccinated are treated the same as those who have not been vaccinated quarantine free travel should be allowed face mask removed otherwise what's the point of getting vaccinated perhaps someone could tell me why travel to macau and vice versa is prohibited when neither country has any local covid cases macau happily opens the borders to china which reports uh, approximately 20 cases a day. It makes no sense. Furthermore, while children's paddling pools still close when children don't seem to be able to catch or carry the virus and chlorine kills the virus and country park barbecue pits are still closed where eating is outdoors and safe as opposed to squeezing around an indoor hot pot restaurant. Uh, uh, Alonso says, can you ask Professor Cowling the second part post of my question? Should the Hong Kong government discontinue the Sinovac shot and only offer the BioNTech option? Uh, no. So we only have enough 
uh, BioNTech for half the population. We have 7.5 million doses, which is enough enough for half the population to get two jabs. So we need to make up the remainder up to 70% or above vaccine coverage with other jabs and Sinovac the other one we have right now because we turned down the chance to get AstraZeneca. So unless we can get another vaccine, we should keep using Sinovac. But okay. I would I would still recommend everybody if they can get BioNTech to get BioNTech. All right. So, da- David said, sorry, a lot of the... No, no, I'm just saying, you know, so we will not be able to get more BioNTech even if we want to. I, I, don't, I think they may have tried. I don't know. But okay. what I've heard is we have 7.5 million doses and I don't know how we're going to manage with booster doses at the end of this year if we're looking to BioNTech because we probably would need some more. Mm. All right. Um, David says... I agree. This current vaccination has no incentive. I was vaccinated back in April. I will still be unable to return from the UK after my visit in September. What is the incentive for someone who is hesitant over vaccinations? It's time for government policy to change. Uh, Phil B says the district council should have taken the lead to assist the government in promoting vaccines, but they've done nothing on this issue. They claim to have the support of the people, so why do they not promote vaccinations in their districts? It's simple, they are yellow and will hinder the government at every level. They could do so much more. Their resignations are welcome. That's from Phil B. Uh, uh, Charles says the question is whether we can benefit from jabs as a city. Uh, if, well, if one travels to Australia or New Zealand, and if you have your jabs in Hong Kong, quarantine on return will be for seven days rather than 14 or 21. Perhaps if we reach a certain vaccination level and the case has dropped to an acceptable level, we could live without masks. Now, that's a benefit. The management of the antibodies test is also a point for discussion, and this takes the criteria to another level. For travellers, this could be a serious option. I know many companies in Hong Kong offering the service. If one has an antibodies test in Hong Kong and travels to certain countries returning within three months, then seven days quarantine is available. It's part and parcel of opening up. That's from uh, Charles. Uh, James says, uh, I have one of my children in the UK who's not eligible for the vaccination as per the overnight announcement from the UK for those within three months of their 18th birthday being eligible for the vaccine. He had one Pfizer jab here in Hong Kong before he left in April. However, since the government here announced his eligibility late, he was only able to get one. So does he get another jab of the same vaccine in the UK or wait until he's back in Hong Kong? Not sure how getting a jab of the same vaccine in different countries works or his views. That comes from James. Would there be any problem in getting a second? I don't know. I think they open up appointments three months before your 18th birthday, but I think the appointment might be after you turn 18. Uh, You can just book it in advance. And if you want the vaccine record in Hong Kong, maybe it's better to to wait till you come back to Hong Kong and get the second jab here. But there's a a time window as well, so I I don't know if it's going to work out. Okay. Uh, Alonso says, Listener Din's comment that there are no government figures on how many people have had Sinovac. You can go to the government vaccination dashboard, covidvaccine.gov.hk. This gives the breakdown between Sinovac and BioNTech uh, shots. Uh, and Tony says, old people in nursing homes not scared of dying, LOL. Uh, and Jim says, uh, he's got a real fan there. Jim says, my God, Dr. Wu's hit the mark. I ordered in two weeks hotel, uh, two week hotel quarantine. Contamination was possible on every item shoved into my virus free room. That's uh, from uh, Jim. Thank you very much indeed for uh, all the many uh, emails and uh, questions uh, and comments this morning. And to, uh, to our guest, once again, to Professor Cowling, thank you very much indeed, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health. And to uh, uh, Professor Jean Wu, Emeritus Professor of Medicine uh, at the Chinese University Faculty of Medicine uh, and also the uh, uh, Director of the Jockey Club Institute of Aging at the Chinese University. Thank you all very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Um, uh, 
finally today, uh, as mentioned, we wanted to turn to uh, this uh, a new uh, TV series, uh, Ossens Love, uh, which features a same-sex uh, relationship, uh, which is uh, making waves uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, Junius Ho, the legislator, has uh, spoken out uh, a, a against it, but it, uh, it seems popular and it features uh, some of the most popular um, young men performers uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, for comment, we're joined now by uh, Jerome Yao, who's the Vice Chair and CEO of the Pink Alliance. Uh, Mr Yao, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, thanks very much indeed for, for joining us. What, what do you make of this? What do you make of, the first of all, the kind of the popularity of this show, uh, Austin's Love? I, I, I get to put it quite simply, it caught the imagination of the younger generation. I mean, we've learned from uh, the latest findings from CUHK that the younger generation is actually quite overwhelmingly supportive of um, LGBT equality. So, I mean, obviously, the show caught their imagination, and I think that it explains why uh, it was so popular. Um, is this the first time that um, you know gay relationship is actually the central theme uh, of any drama series? Uh, I think, it, to the best of my recollection, I think so. I would say, especially... I'm talking about for the past maybe 10, 15 years. Okay, so, um, and this is a VU TV production. Obviously, you know, we uh, might not think that TVB would be uh, so daring. Uh, you, so, uh, you know, why why would this uh, series um, happen at this time uh, in Hong Kong? I think it's just the timing, it's just a bit uh, interesting in the sense of. If we look across Asia, the genre is really nothing new. I mean, it caught waves in Thailand, in Japan, and elsewhere in Asia. So finally, in Hong Kong, they 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 bought the rights, they adapted the series to to make it more relevant to the local situation, and and they, they played it. And obviously, um, besides the fact that it caught the uh, I got the imagination of the younger generation, at the same time, um, obviously we have seen, we have been seeing the popularity of the boy band Mirror. I think that's also explains why the show was so popular. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? That the they're celebrities in their own right, you know, singers, as you say, for Mirror, but they're not worried, um, they, you might think they might be worried about, you know, getting a reputation or whatever by, by doing this sort of same-sex uh, acting. No, I think the, the younger ones are very chill about this one. I mean, mm. I mean, I mean that really I think, aligns with what we've seen what I've seen on the street and what I've seen from research findings. So I think the younger generation has no problem with it whatsoever. And what does it mean uh, policy-wise? Uh, because Hong Kong actually lags behind in you know, LGBT rights and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. uh, as compared I, to other countries in, in, or cities in, in Asia. Well, I think the good thing is it gets people talking. I think that's always a good sign. And the more people talk about it, and I think the more people will learn about it, what this issue is all about. I mean, obviously, for a long, long time, the airways have, have been dominated by a certain type of fear-mongering, if I can put it that way. But I think if, I get, if we have more people talking about it, the more, more people will be interested to find out what, what the issue is all about. And eventually, if, if uh, I mean history has sort of any sort of indication that I think, you know, uh, that will possibly, hopefully one day the government, um, you know, will come to their sense of look, you know, there's nothing really controversial about that one. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about the future generation and, and hopefully then they will get to it, get their act together and, and do something about it. 
Okay, uh, there's an email from Bowen. Um, thanks, Bowen, who says, Dear Backchat, the judgment of Backchat's occasional guest, Brian Wong, whose age approximates those of most of the lead characters of the TV serial, should be more representative of general sentiments than that of old fogies like us. He says that it has served as a valuable breath of fresh air given the largely stifling times in which we find ourselves, unquote. He's most probably uh, also right that, quote, the triumphant popularity of Austin's love certainly highlights the ripe grounds for legislative and policy changes, unquote, although he's wise enough to also point out, quote, whether such momentum could be converted in political capital in favour of more progressive reforms remains a separate question, unquote. If his point is that there is frequently a big gap between real conditions and sentiments on the ground in our city and the inclinations and policy considerations of the authorities, I suspect few can disagree with him. That is from uh, Bowen. And uh, Mary says, needless to say, what is really bugging uh, ageing males like Junius, Holden et al., is that local women have little interest in macho but are going gaga over the androgynous new kids on the block. No doubt a backlash against all the goose-stepping, vengeful male aggression that swamped our society in recent times. That comes uh, from uh, Mary. Thank you very much in, in, indeed for that. Do we, do we learn something about the relationship between the authorities and the, and the people or the, or the state of society, do you think, uh, from, uh, from the, this success? Possibly. I mean, uh, again, I, I would say usually if I look back in the past, say, 10 to 20 years or even longer, governments around the world, for most of the time, they always lag behind uh, sentiment on the ground. So Hong Kong is obviously no exception. But I think given you know, this particular series and the fact that we've got more people talking about it, the uh, society, I think the sentiment is ready for it, then hopefully, you know, the government will finally take notice and look, you know, if we claim to be as such an international city, and I think that this is an issue that they need to do something about it. Mm, okay, uh, here's an email from uh, John. I think perhaps, John, some of the points you raised are, were actually kind of covered by, by Mr. Yao. John, anyway, says, I think it'd be useful to provide a bit of context for your discussion about Austin's love, Hong Kong version. Social change has come to modern Asia, and Hong Kong is actually a bit behind the curve. TV dramas featuring gay romances have now been broadcast on free-to-air TV in Japan, Taiwan, Thailand, and the Philippines. Vietnam is producing a lot of gay dramas, but I'm not sure if they've moved to free-to-air TV yet. Uh, these societies have shown high levels of toleration and acceptance. One Thailand TV station features its gay romances every Friday at 8.30pm. This has become a worldwide phenomenon as the dramas are simulcast on YouTube. It's great that with the local version of Austin's Love, the normalisation message that some guys fall in love with other guys has reached Hong Kong. That's from uh, John. Thank you very much indeed for that. And thank you very much indeed to Jerome Yao, uh, Vice Chair, CEO of the uh, Pink Alliance. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning, uh, Mr Yao. A uh, couple more comments. Tony says, living with COVID is wearing a mask. It's proven in Hong Kong. Uh, other countries that's not willing to wear the mask have high cases even when they are vaccinated. Uh, and on Facebook... Uh, let's see, says uh, TC, this, well, the story below isn't about Hong Kong. There's a relation because Hong Kong is the source of misinformation for the ethnic Chinese community in the metro Vancouver area. The biggest problem for seniors is the unrealistic expectation of the vaccine. Why risk the side effects if the immunity is 100%? On issues like this, I always quote a verse of the Bible, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. It's from Ecclesiastes. I may not be religious, but I feel that if one does everything they're supposed to and still dies, maybe this was meant to be. That's uh, from uh, TC. A uh, few more emails just to uh, wrap it all up. 
Robin says, I welcome pro-government voices like Nixie who make the show more balanced. But Sean Rain's shameless uh, bootlicking yesterday was almost unbearable. Might Backchat be able to avoid or better challenge any guest who says, says country A is rightly protecting its interests and doing a great job. Country B is a big meanie and just wants to call, cause trouble. It's the poorest quality of argument, no matter which side it comes from. And a late farewell to Steve Vines. Good bloke, that's Steve. That comes uh, from uh, Robin. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, Andrew K says... Um, uh says i hear you did not read okay he he sent an email in november saying people leaving hong kong again how disconnected from reality are these people uh and then in a few days ago he said well six months have passed since that mail anyone keeping a tally of how many people have actually fled our oppressed city and now he says i hear you did not read the mail below any reason to avoid this topic no andrew we did actually read that out i did read that out and i pointed out that in fact nobody's keeping a, a tally uh, it's very hard to uh, pin down the uh, numbers because there aren't any uh, numbers on uh, people uh, leaving hong kong uh, that's it from us uh, for today back at uh, uh, back at uh, 8:30 uh, tomorrow uh, and a reminder that we'll be uh, joined by the chief executive as well on uh, friday morning uh, the weather forecast for today fresh to strong east to southeasterly winds showers will be heavy at times with thunderstorms temperatures up to about 28 degrees today the strong wind signal number three is in effect as well as a thunderstorm warning 26 celsius now relative humidity is at 95 percent why have so many online accounts and passwords when you need only one with i am smart you can access different online services using the i am smart platform fill in forms automatically and receive personalized notifications such as reminders on tax and rates download the i am smart mobile app now you can use it after a few simple registration steps for more details visit imsmart.gov.hk i am smart safe and swift 9.33, the news now with Todd Harding. The government says it's finished a compulsory COVID testing exercise at the Centrepoint Residential Building in Xiongwan, where 185 residents were tested and no confirmed cases were found. The government says it may not issue a vaccination record to a man who received two COVID jabs here after he reportedly didn't tell nursing staff he'd already been inoculated abroad. And the observatory says the strong wind signal number three will remain in force for some time today as Typhoon Chempaka hovers over the offshore waters of western Guangdong at a distance of about 200 kilometres from Hong Kong. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. 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 How are you? You're not too bad at all. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me? Good Hello. morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type pilots. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Tuesday here on The Morning Brew. Jared Watt, of course, is going to be with us after 10.30 with all the news from down under that's fit to broadcast. COVID is still the newsmaker, having popped back to Melbourne again.